So the last two days were with just the girls, <laughs> the sisters, and today we have the, uh, the brothers here as well, the, the church in Houston, and I believe a few other places that are nearby. Um, <clears throat> I cannot help this weekend but to recall my f- um, one of my first major visit to Houston. And that would hark back to over 30 years ago when Brother Lee came. Uh, I didn't come here by myself. I don't think so. That was not my first visit, but memorably, that was like my first visit. And that was the time, about 1983 or four, where, of course, this building did not exist. But the other building, maybe the first part of the other building, oh, that way, sorry, (laughs) um, was there, because I remember it very vividly. And um, the occasion was Brother Lee's first foray, if you will, outside of Southern, outside of California, uh, to give a Chinese-speaking conference. You know, be, uh, many of you younger ones have no idea on what I'm talking about, but prior to the early 80s, uh, we didn't have anything called Chinese-speaking meetings. We have Chinese-speaking saints, but we didn't have Chinese-speaking meetings, nor did we have Chinese-speaking um, uh, conference uh, as such. But Brother Lee took the lead because uh, those immigrants from the Far East were increasing uh, rapidly, and many of them were actually our own people in the recovery from, um, uh, from Taiwan mainly at that time. Uh, mainland China, as we call them today, was actually not yet open. Uh, or was just beginning to be open, but uh, places like Hong Kong, places like even Southeast Asia, they started to come over here. And so many of these Chinese brothers and sisters, um, you know, older ones especially, they, they were just not proficient uh, in the, uh, with the English. And so uh, some of them eventually just kind of dropped out of the church life because they couldn't communicate, they couldn't understand. Um, And so um, our brother had the burden to take care of these ones. And so we started the Chinese-speaking work. And I was a youngster, uh, just uh, barely over 30, and Brother Lee drafted me and some others who are bilingual to help him begin this work. And so the place he started was in Anaheim, uh, in Southern California. And then um, immediately after that, he went to the Bay Area. You know, these are places along the coast with, uh, where a lot of these immigrants um, resided in. And uh, <clears throat> that was the second. The third place, if I remember correctly, was here. Texas of all places, but not Texas, really Houston, Texas, Um, which uh, was, uh, you you know, some of you, you know, the oil crisis in the 70s, you know, by then Houston was becoming this boom town. And um, and a lot of these 
Chinese people and other types of immigrants, Vietnamese and you know others, uh, came by droves and and uh, and um, uh, you know stay in this area. So uh, by then we already have a num good number of Chinese-speaking saints, and so we came here. And I came with Brother Lee uh, uh, to be his translator. <coughs> Isn't that weird? Uh, <laughs> Brother Lee uh, uh, by then spoke good English. I mean, he had been ministering with English for, for by then, um, 20 years, 20 years, so no problem. But he wanted to speak in Chinese to the Chinese saints. So he needed a translator, and that was me. And I must tell you, my Chinese was absolutely atrocious and <laughs> terrible. Why? I'm a Chinese, I, uh, but um, I grew up in, a, in Hong Kong. You know, you know a place called Hong Kong, where uh, uh, it's mostly uh, what the, the dialect that was spoken there was mainly Cantonese. Okay, you heard of Cantonese. But in this country, with the Chinese-speaking work, the, uh, uh, the larger the, uh, the um, uh, preponderance of saints who spoke Chinese spoke Mandarin, not Cantonese. It's a two different dialects. You, you almost don't understand each other. Uh, it's not just an accent. It's two different dialects. It's same characters and all of this, but, but different dialects. And so... Um, I did not grow up speaking the Mandarin dialect, but the Cantonese dialect. But thankfully, I grew up in a household where my family, my parents, spoke both. So I grew up listening to Mandarin, but I never spoke Mandarin. I only spoke Cantonese. Number one. Number two, by then, I've been here in this country for 15 or so years. And my, 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 my Chinese has gone just totally rusty and, you know, almost I forgot some terms. And, I mean, truth be told, I, I did not even have the uh, uh, command of these uh, uh, spiritual terminology in Chinese. So I was really, really at a disadvantage. And I have to translate for, of all people, Witness Lee. <laughs> Um, who have been ministering from day one in China for years in Chinese, and of course, you know who he was, and here, here I am, this wet behind the ears, translating for him. It was simply awful. It was awful. I mean, my translation. Uh, the, the conference was excellent, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what went through his mind when I translated for him. It, he, he had a lot of mercy on me, a lot of mercy on me. Well, I remembered, however, the messages. And today, that, was, that is in a little book called The Excellent Christ, from the book of Philippians. Brother Lee spoke on Philippians. In those days, he had quite a burden on the book of Philippians. He spoke where we were in Southern California, Northern California, and he brought it here. And that is in that book. You can get it from the bookstore, I, I, I believe excellent Christ. You know, of course, that's based on chapter 3 of Philippians, that we may know, the, that Paul said that I may know the excellency, right? 
You want to have that excellent knowledge, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And from there, the term, the excellent Christ. A marvelous conference. And that was in that building there. And I just thought back to that. And here I am today, Brother Witness Lee is dead for 21 years. Um, and uh, I've come around Houston here and there uh, a number of times, but I never was in any conference or any speaking like this until this time. So this, I'm going down memory lane a little bit. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm waxing a bit nostalgic. Uh, I think I have the right to do so. I was here before many of you were here <laughs> in Houston with Witness Lee. Well, this morning, according to the inner burden, and somewhat to honor Brother Lee, I like to say something from the book of Philippians again. But I'm not going to cover the excellent Christ because he has covered it already. I like to say something about living this excellent Christ. This Christ that is so excellent, so wonderful, so unsearchably rich, so all-inclusive, is for us to know. When we say, know, that I may know him, Paul said in chapter 3, he did not mean just to know uh, cerebrally, uh, mentally, uh, or doctrinally, or even just in a, as a matter of truth. What Paul was talking about there when he said that I may know him, you know, I mean, that is, we all need a banner up here that says that I may know him. That knowing is a subjective knowing. That knowing is an experiential knowing. That knowing is a personal knowing. Now we do need to know Christ uh, mentally. What I mean by that is we do need a certain apprehension of Christ um, according to the word, according to the truth that with all where it begins. Because it's only based on that knowledge of this Christ that we may have a revelation of him, that we may have a vision of him, of how rich he is. Paul said the unsearchable riches of Christ. And of course, the entire Bible, the whole book, the book, right? The Bible means the book is all about Christ. Even in the Old Testament, although it was Christ revealed in types, Christ revealed in prophecy. But nevertheless, it's all about Christ. Christ is the key to understanding the whole Bible, for the Bible reveals himself. The New Testament, um, it's even more direct, more clear, more straightforward, that it is simply a revelation of Jesus Christ. First, as God incarnate in the first four books of the New Testament. That was a Christ, right? 
his incarnation and his earthly living, his living on in this world, on this earth. And you want to know him, you read the four Gospels. The God-man. But not only so, we come to the book of Acts, you see this Christ being reproduced in a group of people, the disciples, the church. And so in Acts, you see this Christ increase, this Christ who have grown, uh, this Christ who have been enlarged, this Christ being propagated from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and eventually to uh, the rest of the world. And so this is God's intention for this Christ to be spread and propagated. But he is spread and propagated not by himself anymore as he was when he was on earth in the flesh. Now he has come into a group of people to be their life, to be their person. And these people become his extension and his continuation and his enlargement. You may say this people is just Christ. They are Jesus, corporately, collectively. They are Jesus walking on earth again. And that's why when Paul, Saul was his name, on his way to Damascus to persecute these people, the heavenly Jesus revealed himself to him. And when he posed that question of all questions, who are you, Lord? What was the answer from the heavens? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Right there, you will see that this Jesus today is no longer the little Jesus who walked the earth. Is not even the Jesus, the, the man who have ascended to the heavens and who is enthroned by God. Today, this Jesus is still on the earth in a group of people. Those were the disciples. Those were called the Christians. And brothers and sisters, I like to tell you this morning, I am staring at Jesus. I'm looking at Christ still continuing, still extending, still being propagated one by one into each one of us. His life came into us. His very person came into us. And now he is one with us. Amen? Amen. We are no longer just mere men anymore here. We're not even just good people here. No, today we are Christ men. Today we are Christians. Today 
we are little Jesuses and little Christ. We really are. We really are. He's our big brother and we are the many brothers. And we all are born of the same Father God. And together, he is the head and we are his body. So also is the Christ. So Christ today is the head. Christ today is the body. Christ today is in the heavens. Christ today is on the earth. Christ today is on the throne. Christ today is in Houston. And that's what God wants. He wants his Christ to grow by being dispensed into men. To become their life, to become their everything, to become fully mingled with them as one. So that, in a sense, he and us are indistinguishable. We're part of each other. We are members of Christ, and we are members of the body of Christ. We share the same life, and we share the same nature. We live together. He lives in us, and you know what? We live in him. He cannot live today on the earth without us, and we cannot live without him. You know, that's what the Lord will say to us. Man, I can't live without you. If I want to keep living on the earth, I need you. And we tell him, Lord Jesus, we say the same. We cannot live without you. No way. We're the Adamic race. We're fallen. We're sinful. We're bad. The only way for us to live is to live by your life. The only way for us to live, to express God, is to be filled with you. And thankfully, this Jesus today is no longer that little Jesus on the earth. Through his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, he has become the life-giving spirit. The spirit of life, the all-inclusive spirit, the compounded spirit, and the spirit has come into us the day we were saved. When we receive him, when we call on his name, this wonderful spirit of the triune God came into our spirit. Join to our spirit, mingle with our spirit. Today, he and us are simply inseparable. We're in each other. That is the meaning of being incorporated. And our lives are forever mingled. And it will never be separated again. It's inseparable. It is an irreversible chemical reaction. How about that? Our salvation is irreversible. You cannot unchristian yourself. It's simply too late. Now, what is the Christian life, you ask me? The Christian life today 
is simply to live Him. To not only have His life, to have His nature, to have His attributes, to have His virtues, but Christ is yearning to live Himself again. Billions of times. And one person at a time. Amen. He wants to live himself again today. As he did once upon a time. By himself. And in himself. Now by him. Having spread himself into us. Dispense himself into us. Indwelling us as the spirit. He wants to live again. Amen. Through you. Amen. And in you. Amen. And with you. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. So every day to be a good Christian. It's not, Lord, help me to be better. Wrong prayer. Every day the prayer we should all pray is, Lord, live in me, live through me, and live with me. You just pray that. You don't need to make up your mind. You don't need to make some resolution. This is still sort of a Q1 of the new year. You don't need no resolution. That doesn't work anyway. You know, those people who say, this year I'm going to lose 10 pounds. They lost it by, by the second week, you know. It doesn't work. And talk about trying to live Christ. I mean, talk about the impossible. So don't, don't make those resolutions. Just pray. Just pray simply, Lord, lift yourself through me. Amen. You know, the song that we sang with the sisters this, uh, you know, this weekend is such a song, number 403. Am I right? Yes. We have no time to sing that, but you sing it when you go home. Lift thyself, Lord Jesus, through me. For, thy, for, for my very life thou art. So this is a watchman song. So you just pray that way. Now, don't even just pray it uh, 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 every so often. I like to tell you, pray that all the time. This is not a prayer asking for a raise. This is not a prayer asking for, you know, a better car or whatever it is. Or This is the best prayer. This is the highest prayer. This is the prayer that will touch God's heart right there. Instantaneously. Lord Jesus, I have no other desire. I have no other intention. I have no other resolution. I just want you to live in me, through me, with me once again. I want you to be expressed through me. I want people to see you in me. Apparently they see me, but actually they see you. Apparently it is me living but actually, it's you living in me. Amen. 
How about that? Amen. That's the top Christian. That's the top Christian. Say this to these young brothers from Austin. You just say, Lord, as young as I am, just I'm in my teens, late teens, whatever. Lord, live through me. Let me tell you, it is fully possible for Christ to live through a junior high. Young brother, young sister. Absolutely possible. If it's not possible, he would not say it. He would not say something like, as I live by my father, he who eats me, he will also live because of me. He would not say that if it's not possible. So dear saints, we just need to eat a lot of him and live because of him. It's not sky high impossibility. This is not for some super spiritual Christians. This is not a domain for giants. No, this is our destiny, every one of us. Amen. To live Christ on the earth right now. Amen. Some of you say, if my situation is better, then I can live Christ. That's wrong. You're supposed to live Christ right now in your problems. So in number 403, it says, to thee I take all my problems as the full solution now. The solution to your problems is not in the by and by, it's not next year, it's not many months from now, it's right now. The solution is Christ, not a better day, not when your husband gets better, because he probably won't, not when your wife is more submissive and not talk back, because it's unlikely to happen soon. Not when, oh, if my environment changes. Not when the sufferings are gone. No, no. It's right where we are. Amen. It's right now. Amen. Just as I am. Amen. Now is the time. You know, when we preach the gospel, we tell people, don't wait for a better day to be saved. Now you need to be saved. Amen. Right now is when you need to be saved. Amen. Am I right? Yes. I say this morning I'm preaching the gospel. Right now is the time you need to live Christ. Amen. Right now is the time for you to experience him. There's not a better time. This is the absolute best time. It's the worst time, but it's the best time. Amen. Okay, sisters, this is still the sisters training, okay? 
sisters, I hope after these two meetings, you're not, your prayer will change. Oh Lord, change my husband. <laughs> oh Lord, please do something. I can't handle him anymore. I'm, I'm ready to call it quits. Wrong prayer. You know, I, I, I'm sympathized with you, but wrong prayer. Forget about changing your husband. Don't even try. Because you'll only be met by disappointment. And the more you pray, the, the more hope you stirred up, the bigger the disappointment. Because tonight when he comes home, he's going to look exactly the same. <laughs> He probably will say the same thing to you. And you'll be crushed again. So don't go there. Sisters, the need is not for your husband to change. The need is for Christ to make home in your heart. Amen. The need is for this Jesus who knows exactly what your husband is like, to live in you, with you, through you, to be with your husband, this unreasonable husband, this bad husband. Jesus said, I want to live in you, through you, with you, in this marriage. I'm not going to change him. Because if I change him, you don't need me anymore. I want you to live with me. I want you to live by me. I want you to live in me. That's what I want. And I know how to handle your husband. It's not the way you think. I'm going to handle it my way, and I'm your person. You take my person. You live by me. And you know what? He'll be handled. In a mysterious way. In a magical way in a way that only Christ can handle. Same thing to wives, husbands, young people, your parents. You hate them, right? <laughs> parents, your children. Your children. At work, your boss. You want to strangle, strangle him. your employees, all this, what we call in the ethical relationships, which is really, in another word, human life. This is where Christ wants to be seen. Amen. This is where Christ needs to be expressed. This is where Christ is experienced by us right now. 
in whatsoever circumstances I am. So I come back to the book of Philippians. Now, you just follow me. You don't need to even open your Bible if you wish. That's up to you. I'm going to just read some verses to just bring home the point, right? I, my burden is already discharged. I'm just bringing home the points through this book, wonderful book of Philippians on not just the excellent Christ, but living this excellent Christ. Sisters, let me just keep saying, talking. Sisters, if you live this way, your husband will say, what's going on? What happened? That's not her. It's not the her I know. How come she's not reacting in this way? How come she's doing this? What, what, what happened? What happened? Christ happened. And he saw Christ, even he didn't know he saw Christ. But that was Christ. All right, I'm just going to lead, read some verses, and they're familiar to you, but they'll help me bring home the burden. The first, of course, is in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So I'll just read, For I know that for me this will turn out to salvation through your petition and the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be put to shame, but with all boldness, as always, even now Christ will be magnified. Magnified. It's not even just expressed, but expressed in a manifold fashion. Magnified. It's like this... Uh, what do you call it, this uh, magnifying glass, where you look at it, it's so small, but you put it over the glass, whoa, it's so clear. You know, Christ is kind of small, but after living in us and through us, Christ looms large. And today there are millions of Christs so this Christ today is being magnified. He's being made big in the eyes of men. Now I want to just tell you, talk about needing help. This guy really need help here who wrote this. He was in a Roman prison. He was probably in bound in stocks. He definitely had at least one guard guarding him. Now talk about needing help. Talk about needing some change. This guy needs some change. But you know, he doesn't say, I asked the Lord to free me. You know, this guy, he was once free, freed uh, miraculously by the Lord 
with Silas in a prison in Philippi. They were singing, praising, and an earthquake happened, and the, you know, everything fell, fell off, and they were free. But no, 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 th this time it's, it's not happening. No miracle, you know, you know what I mean? You always look for miracle in your other half, you know. No miracle this time. No miracle for this great apostle. No change to that suffering environment. Rather, he said, rather, he said, salvation will come, number one, through your prayers, and number two, through a bountiful, rich supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. No getting out of the prison. No freedom. But in that difficult situation, in that adverse situation, in that bondage, in that jail, this man, Paul, had an earnest expectation and hope that he won't be put to shame. That means he won't be there cursing, murmuring, complaining, woe is me. I made a big mistake to end up here. Where is God when I need salvation? Didn't say any of those. Because if we, he did that, he is being put to shame. He said, with all boldness, as always, even now, Christ will be magnified in my body. And he was staring at that time of a possibility of being martyred. He didn't know when. It's a matter of time. You know, Philippians is one of his last books. He's staring at death, very possible death, and probably a very painful kind of death. He's martyrdom. He's staring also at life. There's a 50-50 poss possibility they will let him live a little longer. But he said, whether it's life, through life, or whether through death, in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He said, basically, it does not matter. It's life, it's death, better times, worse times. The important thing is that I live Christ. That Christ is magnified in my body. They're saying, I like all of us to live like this. We're not in jail, but marriage is a jail, okay? The Chinese have that saying, the day you're married is the day you're shackled. And what God put together, no man can put asunder. That means we, we, 
we shouldn't, you know, this divorce and get separate, separated. That, 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 that's not according to God's ordination. So, so, so it's a jail, it's a prison. But there's two ways to live in this prison. One way is, get me out of here. This is why, what, I, what did I do to deserve this, you know? To deserve this, this, this man or this, this woman. You know, woe is me. And every day you live like you are a cursed person. You are destined for some terrible fate by this marriage. You moan about it. You complain about it. You, you, you hate it. You want out of it. It's one way to live. One way to live. The other way to live is to live Christ. I'd like to tell you, brothers and sisters, it is possible to live Christ in the marriage prison. Some of you are not in marriage, you're in other kinds of prison, environment that you find yourself in. Now, keep this in mind. Paul could live in this way. In other words, he could magnify Christ in the most horrible of circumstances because there's a supply within him. I want to, you to keep that in mind. It is not by your strength. No, can't do it. There's a bountiful supply that transcends, that is more strong, that is stronger than any chains, than any obstacles. There's an overcoming power. That's the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. There is an energy. There's an energy that is operative. That while you cannot, you cannot handle this anymore, you are at your wit's end. You said, if this happened one more time, that's it. At that time, I tell you, when you give up, this power kicks in. By your prayer, often in desperation, often with tears, often even in despair. You pray, not asking for change, not asking for miracles, but just saying, Lord, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't do it anymore. I cannot bear it anymore. Lord, but you're with me. You're in me. You're one with me. The bountiful of supply of the spirit of life is in me. Lord, 
I love you. I need you. I take you. That's all I can do right now. See what happens. See what happens. I tell you, you know, we sang the song. Oh, it's up, gone. On the perfect love, you know, I wrote that song. I tell you, oftentimes at that moment, I tell you, God, I mean, God in Christ as spirit to be love will fill your heart. Will fill your heart. What you cannot do, love can do. And so I wrote that song, 1 Corinthians 13. You better go and read 1 Corinthians 13 and all the features of this love, all the aspects of this love, all the realities of this love, all very, very human. Very human. Love hopes all. When you're so hopeless, love hopes all. When you cannot believe anything anymore, you cannot even believe in God anymore, love believes all. When you cannot take it anymore, when you cannot bear anymore, love endures all. It says, tongues will cease, knowledge will fail, prophecies will be no more, but love remains. Oh, everlasting love. This love which is Christ as the Spirit, will fill our hearts. And this love, let me tell you, is full of energy. Love is not a blob. Love is not an idea. Love is not even just a mere emotion. If God is love, I tell you, this love is dynamic. It's a dynamo. It is powerful. Love is the most powerful of all human emotions. That love, that is really the spirit, will energize, will operate will work out something beyond what you can do by yourself. But that love does not operate outside of you. You know, like something that falls on you and changes everything or changes even you. No, 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 no. That love is embedded. That love is already mingled. That love is installed in you already. But it has no way to come out because you're still living you. 
You forget about him. You don't need him until when it gets really bad. It shouldn't be that way. Even it should be even in good days we should experience this love and live this Christ. But the way we are, we're just stubborn, right? We're just like that. So the Lord says, "Okay, I'll just wiggle my little pinky." Hmm. You know what I mean. So that's the all things in Romans eight. That's the all things of this little pinky of God in your lives. I know even some saints; they just even get to the stage they start to blame God for giving them their spouse, that spouse. They they blame God. It's unfair, they say. Why am I talking so much about marriage? Because marriage is a building block, not only in human society, in human community, but in the divine community, the church, and in the divine country called the kingdom of God. This. God ordained. I don't want to use institution. That's too sound, too institution sounding. It is simply God's ordination in His creation. Because even He wants to get married. Okay. To have marriage, the proper kind of marriage on the earth, for His testimony, for His move. For his for his purpose and will, that's a church life. So without the proper, the strong, the healthy marriages and families, we can hardly have a strong and healthy church life. It's upside down. We're not here to focus on family. We're not just here. Promoting just good, happy family life. No, no. There is a purpose. The purpose is God's purpose. The church. But for that, we do need the proper, strong human relationships in our marriages and in our families and in our work life. All of which are. Extremely, extremely human. Angels cannot live this life. Angels have no right to live this life. So forget about trying to be an angel. God wants to live in man and through man. I want to come now to chapter two, with this verse, two verses. So then, chapter verse twelve. 
My beloved, even as you have always obeyed, and as in my presence, not as in my presence only, but much now, much rather in my absence. You know, Paul was just in a jail somewhere. He's absent from the saints. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now we read in chapter 1 already that his salvation, Paul's salvation, is simply his living of Christ. That's the present salvation. That's the immediate salvation. That's the now and practical salvation. But that's the salvation Paul is still talking about in chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now verse 13. For it is God who operates in you. There's an operation. Remember? This word actually in Greek is energizes. Energizes. You're weak. You can't do it. There's something in you that energizes you. God, it is God who operates in you both the willing and the working for his good pleasure. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, I think you all know our problem really is down to just one thing. We're just plain old stubborn. Okay? That's our, that's our one problem. There's nothing wrong with God. Nothing wrong. It's just you're stubborn. We are not willing. I tell you, you know, you don't know how much time God spent to arrange everything just to make you willing. I mean, if you're just willing, God would be we'll be sparing God a lot of wasted time. God is wasting a lot of his energy just to bring you to the point to say, Lord, okay. I mean, if you just say it earlier, uh, you, you will save him a lot of energy. Okay? Me too. I'm just this way. I don't know why I'm like that, but, but, but we're all like that. So, but he is going to operate in you until you say amen. amen. Just, just that one word, so hard to say. You know you should say sorry. You should say, honey, forgive me, right? But you just cannot say it. And you will not say it. Because if I say it, he's going to take advantage of me. He's going to do it more. He will perceive me as the weaker party. And I've got to be strong. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, be nobody's doormat here. Right? Right? Isn't it? Isn't it? Okay. So I will not say it. Not until he says it first. <laughs> then I'll think about it. But that still little voice, small voice, when you pray, when you touch him, says, 
go and say sorry. It doesn't matter who is right, who is wrong. Because I want to say it. That's me. Or go and say, dear, forgive me. I'm wrong. It's Jesus who wants to say that. Because he knows how to be. We don't. But he won't say it by himself because that'd be weird. <laughs> he needs your vocal cords. He needs your voice. And he even needs your face because sometimes you say, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not Jesus. He needs your, he needs your face to co cooperate with his. You know, it says, Paul forgive by the index of the Lord's eyes. You know, Paul didn't just go around forgiving people. He was looking at Christ here so that when he forgives, he forgives with that. He is, when he, say, when he forgives, he forgives with the inner feeling of this Jesus. He forgives with the, the smile that Jesus may have. You know what I'm saying? Not a political smile. And even with the tone that Jesus has. You know, you can say sorry, but in a lousy tone. I think you all know what I'm talking about. How about the Lord would say in you, go say something nice about him or her. What? <laughs> I mean, for me to say I'm sorry is already, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, really, whoa, giving up a lot. And now you want me to say something nice about him. There's nothing nice about him. <laughs> I couldn't even think of a thing to say that's nice about her. Well, the Lord says, you, you, you go say it. You understand? Dear brothers and sisters, I am bringing the Christian life into our daily life. Amen. I'm not just here just doing marriage counseling. No, no, brothers and sisters. It's Philippians. God is operating. Do you believe it? Yes. But he needs you to cooperate. He's trying to work out the willing in you. He's trying to work out the, he's working, the working in you for his good pleasure, which is to live Christ. But he needs you. He needs you to come to that point and stop your striving, stop your resolution, stop your giving up, stop your hopelessness, to have hope, it doesn't work. To not have hope, doesn't work either. Nothing works. It's he who wants to operate in you for his good pleasure. Chapter 3. I have only that famous verse. 
and be, verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is out of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is out of God and based on faith. Verse 10, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So you say, this doesn't talk about living Christ. Let me tell you, this is absolutely about living Christ. Firstly, we need to be found in him. Problem is we're being found in a myriads of things, but not in him. We're found in argument. We're found in excuses. You know, your head is constantly accusing and excusing, usually excusing the other party and ex accusing and excusing yourself, but not found in him. You just, you're a Christian, but you're a thousand miles away from him in experience. Dear saints, that's why we need to what? Pray without ceasing. That's why we need to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. That's not some local churchy practice, okay? That even, even Jeremiah was in jail in Lamentations. He, 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 saw, he, he was not in jail, but he said what? Loud of my low dungeon, hear my breathing, hear my cry. Oh, Jehovah. So he was in a bad place, the prophet. But he had no, no recourse. He has no way out of that. Some, sometimes we just twist ourselves into two pretzels, you know? We, we don't even know when it started, but we're in this pretzel. We're so contorted in every which way. We, we, we don't know what's up, what's down, what's in, what's out. We don't know where we got, how we got here. Mentally, emotionally, we're just kind of in this messed up ball of yarn. But not in him. <laughs> At that time, dear saints, don't try to extricate yourself. Don't try to undo these things. Don't try, where do I come to him? Amen. Turn to him. You see, this is not just some simple calling, oh Lord Jesus, from your throat. I mean, at, you are at the depth of impossibility. No one can solve your problem. It's beyond. That calling is a different kind of calling. That Lord Jesus is a different kind of Lord Jesus. It's filled with desperation. out of a dungeon. And there you will then be found in him because now to be in him means you're one with him now. In experience, by coming to your spirit and touching the Lord, you'll find that you will no longer have your own righteousness. That means you will not be reliant on your behavior to make things right, to correct things. If I do this, things will be corrected. And then you're, you're, you're disappointed again. Because there you're still trying to keep the law. 
your own laws. If I do this, things will be better. No, but the righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is out of God based on faith, that means a righteousness which is Christ lived out. Not keeping some law, but when Christ is lived out, that is righteousness fulfilled. Romans 8, the fulfillment of this righteousness is by another law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That is what will cause us to fulfill righteousness because then we are living Christ and not ourselves. Now verse 10. In order to do this, we need to know him in experience. What is to know him? It breaks us breaks down break this down for us. Number one, the power of his resurrection. That resurrection power, that energy, remember? That bountiful supply, that is a resurrection power. That's something that overcomes death. Even that is something that comes out of death. You are just in death waters. You're six foot under. You need another life, another power. That will not only pull you out of the dirt, but to make you transcend your awful situation. Only resurrection can do this. The power within. But not only that, the fellowship of his sufferings. There is still suffering. We know the experience in these kind of conditions. It's just a lot. And the suffering is not just physical suffering. A lot of times it is psychological suffering. You feel you're not loved. You feel you're betrayed. You feel unhappy. Because it's supposed to be happy. Think about Jesus suffering on the earth. And I'm not talking about those six hours on the cross. I'm talking about his whole life, especially his ministering life of those three and a half years. The loss that he suffered. The soul of suffering. He was called a man of sorrows. He was called that not for nothing. He didn't have a day in his life that was happy, the Lord, except for his rejoicing in the Father. When we get married, we thought, this will do it. I'm going to be happy. Then you found out marriage is not happy. Now, don't think I'm wishing unhappiness on you. And when you're happy, don't try to be unhappy. (laughs) But I think you understand what I am saying. Day to day, year after year, decade after decade. And being conformed to his death, finally, is not even just suffering. It's dying. 
Now, that's the problem, is we don't die. Not only we won't, we, we're stubborn, but we won't die. That's the other big problem. Because if you're dead, things will be easier. We just put you away, you know. When you are truly dead, in the death of Christ, I mean, not self-inflicting pain, you are conformed to his death. You are molded to his death. I'll tell you, that's when he will live. That's when you don't have to live because he's going to live in you and through you and with you. Finally, I have to come to chapter 4. And here we go in verse 8. Finally, brothers, what things are true, what things are dignified, what things are righteous, what things are pure, what things are lovely, what things are well spoken of, if there is any virtue, and if any praise, take account of these things. And I go, actually, to the two verses I wish to read. I know also how to be abased, and I know how to, this is verse 12, and I know how to abound in everything and in all things. I have learned the secret, both to be filled and to hunger, both to abound and to lack. Verse 13. You've got to read verse 13 to complete the thought. I am able to do all things in him who empowers me. So Paul, here is talking about their times when the saints gave to him financially and their times they didn't give to him. So sometimes he lived okay, other times he lived in dire poverty. Sometimes he abounds, sometimes he was abased. But he said, no matter what, I've learned the secret to be in all situations, to be filled, to be in hunger. Really, that means to be in good times and to be in bad times, to bound and to lack. What secret has he found? The secret to live Christ. Verse 13, I am able. You know, that's why he said in verse, chapter 1, with all boldness. My earnest expectation, because he has a secret. And that secret is not like Coca-Cola formula, you know. That secret is freely shared. And we have the secret. Don't say you don't have the secret. Under this ministry, we're being given the secret in every message. And that is, we are able, but not by ourselves, to do all things, meaning in this situation, that situation, good and bad, with this person, that person, this environment, that environment, I am able in him. In him. That means to be one with him. That means to be joined to him. That means to pray constantly. That means to call on his name without ceasing, who what empowers me. Again, remember the energy 
the strength, the dynamo, the power. Someone is in there with a trillion megawatts, all right, ready to strengthen. To him, it's a piece of cake. To you, it's like doomsday. To him, it's a piece of cake. You understand what I'm saying, brothers and sisters? He has lived through all this already. There's no weakness that he has not been through as our great high priests. He knows how to sympathize with us. He's not like, hey, come on, come on, you know? Get up and try again. No, no, he's not like this. He's not your drill sergeant. This Lord, our Lord, has lived through the human life. He shed tears. He's been betrayed, hasn't he? He suffered losses. He's been persecuted, maligned, mistreated, abused. Yes, you know, this word that we love to use, I w- I'm abused. That's why I need out. I'm abused. I'm emotionally abused. Let me tell you someone who was really abused in every possible way. That's the one living in you. This one is empowering. I like to end with this note because of time to get to the airport here. I'll just end with this note. You know, this word virtue in the New Testament, this word virtue, you you find it here, right? Whatever is a virtue, right? Whether it's any virtue, if any praise, that word virtue. This word virtue is not just what we think, you know, virtuous. You know, it is, you know, moral virtue, ethical virtue, human virtues. It is. It is all these things. The positive moral expression and behavior. But this virtue's meaning is a kind of energy. A kind of energy. All right? You remember the Lord when this woman who had a hemorrhaging touched the Lord? And the Lord says, at least in King James, he sends virtue going out of him to this woman to heal her, right? Well, that is actually also the word power. He sends power coming out of him. It is a kind of inner power uh, based on the Lord's moral bearing the Lord's moral morality, his rich and superb morality as the Son of Man and also the Son of God. That virtue that goes out of him, it is another word for it is excellence. Excellence. Something, you know, humanly excellent. It is, I'm reading the footnote here, it is an ethical energy exhibited in vigorous action. How about that? I tell you, brothers and sisters, 
this one who is in us is this virtue. The bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is the source of this virtue. The operating God within us is the motor of this virtue, of this excellence. It is an energy. It is going to be shown, manifested in a kind of vigorous action. I tell you, when I touch the Lord, when I pray, when I call on the Lord in moments, in situations, I tell you, there is a kind of energy there is, that, that, that propel me, that powers me to live, to speak the impossible, to do things that otherwise I could not have done, not just for a moment in time to say I'm sorry, but to continue to live that daily life in that relationship, in that environment, that no man can bear, no man can do it on their own, but there is this power, this excellence, this virtue, that is what? Vigorous in action. The other place that talks about this is in Second Peter, if you have time, verse 3 and verse 5. It quotes this, it is the energy of life that enables us to overcome all obstacles and to carry out all excellent attributes. This is the energy of life, of the divine life within us. So, brothers and sisters, let me leave you with this thought. After all the speaking, dear ones, today... To live this Christ in all this environment, in our human situation, there's no other way but to pray unceasingly. Amen. Not this kind of praying for this or that. You know what I mean. I'm talking about special kind of prayer that is not asking for, you know, but a prayer just to be in him. To contact him. And that can be done moment by moment. Like breathing. Like breathing. So you don't stop breathing. We don't stop praying. And a lot of times these, our environment drives us to pray and breathe more deeply than other times. And those are times we need to really breathe. You have even have no words to the Lord. You have no, 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 no utterances. You, you just have a feeling that you cannot even, uh, cannot articulate. You have, you have only tears, maybe. No one understands what's going on in you. Even you don't understand what is going on in you. You just, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. And only that for a few moments, but the next day, the next day, because the outward environment doesn't seem to have changed. But the Lord is there. God is there. Okay? How about this burden? Amen? Dear saints, if we would all live this way, the Lord will be living himself on the earth in Houston Amen. again. Amen. That's the testimony of Jesus. And if we live this way, I tell you, the whole world is actually in, the, in problems. Am I right? 
We're not different from them. They're not different from us because we're all humans. But we have the secret. It's in the word of God. And if we live this way, they will see and they will want this, this gospel. I believe, you know, today there's like never before this country, the suicidal rate never been this high. The drug crisis had never been this bad. And all kinds of mental, psychological disorders have never been like this. It's called loneliness. It's called depression. And it's called anxiety. Those three things. Plaguing the human society, whether you're millennial or you're baby boomer doesn't matter. And there's no solution. No solution. Except this. This is the gospel. This is what the USA needs. This is what all the Texans need. All the Houstonians need. Let's live this way. By his mercy. I'll stop here. Maybe I think it's good to have some prayer with each other, right? Amen.